Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the x Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to Sox Machine Live. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, as we are streaming this show live on Wednesday, August 22nd, 2018 on Mixler.com slash Sox Machine as the Chicago White Sox just wrapped up a three-game series against the Minnesota Twins with Monday's game being in Minneapolis as a makeup game. If you remember the awful blizzard at the beginning of the season, they canceled three out of four games against the Minnesota Twins earlier this year. The White Sox won that game and they won actually two out of three against the Twins Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And the White Sox have won six of their last eight games. Tonight, we'll recap that series as we just got a chance to watch Michael Kopech pitch on Tuesday, even though it was brief. Carlos Rodon showed his maturity in today's start. The home run chain got passed around as Nicky Domonico remains red hot at the plate. And we also preview the upcoming four-game series as the Chicago White Sox head on the road in their first visit to Detroit. Joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. Is this the best stretch of baseball we've seen from the White Sox this season? I think it has to be. Um, you know, whether it's a 20-game stretch or whether it's just, um, you know, whether, whether you're looking at the record over a 20-game stretch or whether you're just kind of um, going by the enjoyments, average enjoyment from day to day, it does seem like they've stabilized into a professional team. That's uh, you know, might be still below average, but at least they're, you know, they're they're a major league team. If you've been listening to us all season long, you you knew how excited I was 
about the possibility of a 500 month in June, especially with on how well the White Sox started that month, winning a series against the Brewers, going to Boston out of all places and winning a series, which is just immaculate when you think about it now, looking at where the Red Sox are and where the White Sox are. But obviously the White Sox had a seven game losing streak, which really killed the vibes of that month as the White Sox, that's been their best month in 2018, where they finished 12 and 17. Right now, the White Sox are 11 and 9 in the month of August, and they have four games against Detroit, three in New York, and two against Boston. The last five games of this month uh, will be crucial if we want to see the White Sox have a 500 or better month. Uh, But while we still have that buzz for those that are rooting for the White Sox to win games and not for draft position, the highlight from the past three days was Michael Kopech's brief debut. He only pitched two Mm -hmm. innings thanks to a lengthy rain delay. But he struck out four batters and was able to not allow any runs against the Minnesota Twins, including getting out of a first and third no-outs jam in the first inning, which was pretty impressive for a rookie uh, that seemed to be quite nervous or at least was really amped up making his debut in front of a really solid home crowd as White Sox fans definitely came out on a Tuesday night. Jim, it's just 52 pitches, but what are your thoughts on Kopech's first start of the majors? Well, I think he more or less met my expectations, and and I wrote about just saying that when it came to, I guess, overall effectiveness, he might resemble Carlos Rodon, you know, early Carlos Rodon, not current Carlos Rodon, but uh, just like in terms of having really good stuff, doesn't quite have the ability to put hitters away easily. Like, you know, he's still learning how to pitch with it and also learning what, you know, how major league hitters can fight it off. And so we saw a lot of foul balls. I think it was 18 foul balls uh, that really... um, cause that pitch total to ramp up and, you know, whether if the rain delay didn't hit, you know, I, I kind of was trying to figure out what kind of inning pace he would be on. It'd probably be like, hope he would get through five with the current pace he was on. But yeah, I mean, the stuff plays, um, you know, he was just kind of throwing fastballs. It wasn't really an, um, you know, intricate approach. It was more or less just uh, coming right at him, attacking, uh, waiting for them to hit the fastball and then adjusting. And they didn't really barrel up the fastball at all. And so, um, you know, when you're, trying to, uh, you know, stick in the major leagues and you're trying to, you know, get through a first start. Keeping it simple is probably the way to go. And he's somebody who can afford to keep it simple. Yeah. Joe Maurer was a pain in Kopech's neck. (laughs) The veteran in his first at bat got the first hit against Kopech. And for those that love trivia, Michael Kopech's first strikeout victim was Miguel Sano. But yeah, you mentioned all those foul balls and that second at bat against Joe Maurer is just foul after foul after foul. And finally, at 98 miles per hour, that was enough to freeze Kopech and to strike him out. As That was a great reaction from the crowd, and there was a lot of buzz. Myself being there, it's great to meet some of you guys as well at the game. Every time he had two strikes, Jim, I don't know if you could tell from watching the game on the stream or on television, the crowd was really into it. Standing ovation, clapping every time he got the two strikes. Like, here we go. Another opportunity to get a strikeout. And uh, he definitely delivered in that second inning. That was pretty special uh, to see that. Now, Kopech's next possible start looks like it will be Sunday in Detroit. And we'll get to that series preview. But Jim, going from his two innings in Chicago to his next start against the Tigers, are there any immediate adjustments that you would like Kopech to make or is it tough to tell since he only threw two innings on Tuesday? 
Uh, not really. I, I think he'll keep the same approach, which is fastballs first and then second, third time through the order. You know, see if he has to mix it up. I mean, I think we saw Reynaldo Lopez. That was kind of his plan of attack last year, which was let's see how far I can ride the fastball and then adjust. And sometimes he would, you know, get through five innings without really needing a changeup or a slider. And you'd see it in the strikeout totals, like he'd go seven innings, strike out one. But, you know, the um, the offense never kept him honest. So he just kind of stuck to, you know, that paint by numbers approach. And so I can see, I can see Kopech doing the same thing. Uh, I guess I would like to see, he threw that really nasty changeup that was, um, I, I captured the video because I liked uh, Jason Benny's, uh uh-oh reaction to it when the bottom just dropped out of it. But then the next changeups he threw, I think he was overthrowing them, getting under them. They were sailing um, up an arm side away. And I, I think he had the tendency to overthrow uh, when he was trying to put somebody away. So Hopefully, you know, I guess that's the nice thing about this two-inning start. He gets out of the start with a zero ERA and also gets rid of the jitters. Like his next start will, you know, it'll be on the road. It won't be in front of a huge home crowd that's cheering him on and giving him like an audience he's never had. And also it's just like, he, you know, he's crossed off a lot of firsts already. So it shouldn't really be the, you know, lip quivering. Um, and maybe he'll still be sweating massively. But uh, <laughs> when it comes to, the, you know, everything else, all the other jitters, I think he might be able to get past that and maybe... Uh, the second start will be more indicative of exactly what his game looks like. The one adjustment I would like to see is Kevin Smith catching Michael Kopech because the two of them worked together earlier this year in Charlotte. It just seemed from my perspective, being at the game gym, that Omar Navez was guessing on what pitch Michael Kopech should throw, where, again, having that experience working with Kopech, I wonder if Kevin Smith would call a different type of game where Kopech's not using as many pitches to get out of an inning. That's the only adjustment that I'd like to see is have Kopech throw to someone that he's already thrown in games with. Obviously, Kopech's going to have to learn how to pitch to Omar Neveas because he's by far the better offensive catcher. And even Wellington Castillo, who seems that he could be ready to rejoin the White Sox very soon as he's currently playing in games in the Charlotte Knights and getting deeper and deeper into those games but in Detroit that's the one difference I'd like to see I'd like to see Kevin Smith catch Michael Kopech and see if Kopech could get deepish into a start I mean at this moment is it fair to expect at least five innings for Michael Kopech in every start yeah I think that's a good baseline I think six might be pushing it a little bit just because of the yeah because I, I don't think the twins will be the only team to foul off a lot of pitches it's just I think a byproduct of the approach where they're you know really gearing up with a fastball and the changeup isn't quite there to keep him honest yet, so it's mainly just trying to get swings and misses, and it's hard to get swing harder to get swings and misses from major league hitters. So, yeah, I'm I'm kind of expecting that inefficiency, but ultimately just the power stuff and the ability like Rodon has, and like we saw in the first inning, to punch himself off the ropes. Now, I did a segment on ESPN 1000 on Tuesday with Chris and Adam, and they asked me, Jim, why was there more buzz surrounding Michael Kopech's debut? Than the other debuts like Luis, uh, Lucas Giolito, Ronaldo Lopez, and Yohan Mikata. And I thought it was because there was the possibility that White Sox fans, we weren't going to see Kopech at all in 2018 because of service time, right? The, the fear that we wouldn't see him until mid-April, so the White Sox gained an extra year of control. And I thought that kind of fed into the buzz of Kopech's debut because it was a nice surprise that, ta-da, here's Michael Kopech. Uh, he's making a start on Tuesday after we heard uh, from this weekend. What are your thoughts about the buzz surrounding Kopech? Was this debut bigger than the others? 
I think so. And and part of it is, you know, the reasons you mentioned. And also, you know, with Giolito and Lopez, they'd pitched in the majors before. You know, they'd, they'd pitched with the Nationals. And they'd pitched, in, you know, and Lopez had pitched in playoff games. So, um, you know, their arrival wasn't, um, you know, there weren't any firsts involved with it. So, you know, there's that too. There's that, you know, kind of seeing history and seeing, you know, hopefully a very important White Sox pitcher, you know, the, you know, everything that he did and, you know, his first strikeout, first inning, first pitch, you know, first bullpen session before the game, you know, you can say you were there and that's kind of cool. And, you know, it's also, you know, a top 20 prospect versus a top 50 prospect or top, you know, 80 prospect. I think in the case of Giolito, he'd fallen that far. Um, you know, Kopech is at the height of his powers, whereas, you know, Lopez, well, you know, I think Lopez was, you know, just a matter of whether he's going to be a bullpen guy or a starter. And Giolito has, you know, he lost some of the shine. You know, I think if Giolito came up, you know, if the White Sox were getting the Giolito, who was the top pitching prospect in the game and, you know, had that futures game appearance where he threw 98 and, and just had the, you know, hammer curveball. I think he might have gotten the same response that Kopech would have gotten. But since, you know, he'd been around a little bit, he'd seen a stock fall and he'd been more human. I think Kopech just has that superhuman quality to him that, uh, you know, just allows fans to dream a little bit more. Now, moving on from Michael Kopech to Carlos Rodon. Carlos Rodon struggled in the first sitting in today's start where he allowed two runs and he had a very high pitch count, 29 pitches after the first inning. But he closed the door on the Minnesota Twins as he only allowed one more hit in the next five innings. Really impressive stuff and a nice turnaround for Carlos Rodon as he still was able to get through six innings. Do you feel like this is the last hurdle for Carlos Rodon, Jim, to clear in his maturation of becoming a top-end starting pitcher? Yeah, I think, you know, we talked about Kopech and, you know, early Rodon, and, you know, this is the Rodon that he is now. He can go six innings even when piling up the pitches early. He doesn't seem to have the, um, you know, he's able to get weaker contact now. I think he's not operating with his best ever fastball and his best ever slider. Um, the slider, you know, is still there. It's just not the 91, you know, 92 mile per hour power slider, uh, you know, that, that, um, you know, made Albert Pujols look like a rookie. This is more just the, you know, kind of standard, power slider. Um, and you know, it's, it still works. And I think in some cases it might actually work out better for him because it does get grounders. It does, you know, get weaker contact. He can jam guys with it and keep it in fair territory and keep those at bats shorter. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, it's kind of, uh, I would say a good sign that he's not throwing as hard as he can. And he's still, you know, succeeding, you know, he's still pitching the best he's ever pitched in the majors. Uh, 2.71 ERA. Um, you know, he's kind of a guy who's rattling off wins now and that's kind of cool. So, um, you know, should he get his big stuff back? Uh, it's nice to know that he doesn't need it. And also, um, you know, it's, you know, when it comes to his shoulder issue that he had, and it's hard to tell, you know, with shoulder issues, whether it's kind of like a product of just how hard he threw or, um, you know, his approach, throwing too many pitches. But if this helps keep him healthier, um, you know, then you're also getting a guy who goes deeper into games and, you know, ideally deeper into seasons. And that's something that I've been thinking about because it seems like this is sustainable for Carlos Rodon, the pace that he's at. Do you feel that? Do you feel the same way, Jim, as far as like his last eight starts where he's consistently going six, seven, eight innings? Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, I think with Rodon, my biggest concern is health. You know, he's had a few injuries, a couple related to the shoulder, one surgery. And so, you know, that's why when it comes to extending them or talking about extensions or worrying that Scott Boris won't sign one, I'm not really worried about it. Just I think it's fine if the White Sox go year to year. 
you know, take him all the way to the end of their team control period and then assess it afterwards, whether, you know, Rodon wants to hang around or, you know, seriously consider an extension with the Sox or re-sign with them or whether he wants to, you know, command as high a price as he can from the entire, you know, market. You know, I think either one is fine just because the the shoulder. But I think when it comes to uh, what he can offer this rotation for this uh, kind of team with the, you know, hopefully a center on, they're not quite ascending yet, but uh, when they do hit that upswing, I think he can be a big part of it. And uh, I'm just hoping that his shoulder holds up because it seems like, you know, it's kind of like Clayton Kershaw um, in a way. Not I'm not saying he is Clayton Kershaw, but when you watch Kershaw, sometimes you see the great start where he's got the high fastball and power curveball and he's, you know, um, doesn't allow a hit till the sixth inning. He strikes out 12 and you think this is the best pitcher you've ever seen. Then there are other other ways where he can, um, you know, all of a sudden it's six innings and still, you know, he looks wobbly early. And then, you, you know, you get to the seventh and it's two to one Dodgers and you're like, yeah, how'd that happen? And I think, you know, with Rodon, you know, having that way to succeed without, you know, creating jiffable pitches with, you know, high fat, you know, 98 mile per hour fastball, 92 mile per hour sliders that, you know, hit their back foot while they're swinging, you know, just having a more ordinary kind of success, I think makes it a lot easier to think that he can be a guy who, you know, delivers six innings start after start and, you know, hopefully seven and eight and maybe even a complete game for the Rick Renteria era. Era. August 22nd, 2018, Jim says Carlos Rodon is Clay and Kirsch. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Carlos Rodon is dot, 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 Clayton Kershaw. It'd be great if he did turn out to be the next Clayton Kershaw, especially for the next few seasons uh, for the White Sox. Yeah, just a more pedestrian form of success, I think. Yeah, having a pedestrian mode that is still like, wow, really good. I mean, if you look at his last eight starts, you mentioned it, a 2.73 ERA. I mean, eight starts is one-fourth of a season. I think this is sustainable. And if he can put it all together for a full year, man, i just love to see what the metrics would have to say for Carlos Rodon. Obviously, that would be a career year for him. And what maybe he is in the running for some accolades. Maybe he makes an all-star team. Uh, with this type of performance. I mean, he has been outstanding for the White Sox uh, in the past month, even longer, uh, since he's really gotten a role, since he's returned from his shoulder injury. And it's just a great sign. I mean, this is where you start really gaining some hope as a fan because you see briefly what Michael Kopech can do, and then behind him is Carlos Rodon. And you can see why the White Sox have won six out of their last eight games because James Shields is still turning out as far as quality starts because he's just that stubborn veteran <laughs> that's just going to keep throwing. Mm-hmm. And Lucas Giolito is improving. And if Ronaldo Lopez can hit his stride, uh, who knows? Maybe even September will be better for the White Sox and there'll be some momentum carrying to 2019. Now, that's the pitching side. Offensively, this shocked me, Jim, when I heard it in the broadcast today. The Chicago White Sox have a have hit a home run in 14 consecutive games and one of the hottest bats in the lineup for the White Sox at the moment is the man I threw under the bus questioning his quality and what his status would be with the White Sox long term is Nicky DeMonico the reverse jinx is working Jeff yeah uh Nicky DeMonico is on an eight game hitting streak he's going nine for 30 during that span with four home runs a double and a triple he had another home run tonight he's got nine RBIs during that span three walks to five strikeouts is this just a good week, or is Delmonico regaining his form from last year, Jim? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both. I think, you know, when it comes to the power, you know, I don't think he's a, 
he's the 35 home run guy, which is the kind of, you know, if he could repeat this, you know, more frequently, I think it'd be, you know, over the 30 territory. But I think right now it's a little bit of evening out. Uh, I don't think he was as weak a hitter as he showed in, you know, April and May before his hand injury. So I think, you know, that's, that's coming back a little bit. The quality of contact is better. He's pounding the ball more. And I think, you know, it just might be, um, you know, zone hitting a bit better. I think he's got like Daniel Palka. We talk about him, like, you know, there's a spot that he can drive the ball, you know, middle, middle away, um, you know, thigh high, you know, to belt high, he can really pound that. And I think, you know, Delmonico, he's a pretty good low ball hitter. And, um, before he wasn't doing anything with him, you know, he just kind of was getting jammed or popping it up. And now I think he's just driving the ball. So I think it's probably, um, a little bit of positive regression and also just probably, uh, you know, throwing warmer weather and throwing, um, you know, adjusting back to the league, adjusting him and figuring him out. And I think he is leveling, leveling off a little bit to the point where, you know, maybe he can be a, an above average bat that still might have a hard time sticking because of, you know, no clear defensive responsibilities, but you know, he is giving good at bats. So when the White Sox have been hitting home runs as of late, they're passing around this medallion. That's got the 83 Sox logo on it and they're calling it the home run chain and this is similar to what the university of miami football team does they have the turnover chain with the big u so every time someone gets an interception or they force a fumble or they get a fumble recovery uh, that defensive player gets to wear this obnoxious (laughs) chain around their neck uh, as a symbol that yeah i'm the guy that made that play and now the white Sox are kind of copying that Uh, As far as in the dugout where whoever hits a home run gets to wear the socks chain, the the home run chain. Are are you a fan of the home run chain, Jim? Uh, I don't mind it. I don't see a reason to, you know, it doesn't uh, fire me up, but it doesn't bother me either. It just, if they're having fun, cool. But do you know if any other team is doing this in baseball? Everyone does something differently. I feel like, like they do a little dance, a little high fives, but I, I, I like it. I like I like yeah, the I haven't seen chain. a chain anywhere. Yeah, I'm just a little bit like when it comes to uh, you know kind of these these new customs. Like uh, I saw on the MLB Twitter account that they showed uh, you know Ronald Acuna standing with the review umps, you know, pretending he you know had a headset on and looking at the scoreboard, and everybody's like Ronald Acuna, you're incorrigible. It's like, well, Yomer just did that <laughs> you know, three days before. Yeah. It's copying him, but yeah, just so I'm kind of cognizant of you know. Uh, teams copying teams and such, but I think it's lame if they're copying another team. Okay. Yeah. That's, that'd be my one reservation. Like if it's just, you know, it's kind of a a trend going around. It's like, eh, yeah, it's not unique, but I think if they're bringing it to baseball and they're having fun with it and nobody else is doing it, then yeah. I feel like they should wear the chain though, out to the field because these guys wear, you know, chains all the time. I mean, Jose Abreu's got a pretty impressive gold chain that he wears around his neck. I just picture, I just picture like Nicky Delmonico, like you know, flagging now a fly ball with a bloody nose after getting <laughs> <laughs> you just smashed with it, trying to run down a liner in the yeah, gap. Tim Anderson wears it when it's really sunny and it just shines into the opposing hitter's eyes and they can't see the ball. Yeah. I love it. Let's do it. Let's wear the chain out in the field, guys. Let's take that next step. Uh, no, but I like it. I, it. It's fun. I mean, at least they're f- finding ways to have fun when they're 30 games below 500. Yeah, and, that, you know, and talking about Delmonico and, um, you know, at SoxFest, he was probably, you know, maybe not the most popular player, but pretty, pretty damn close, especially given, you know, the, you know, how short his track record is. And, you know, it'd be cool if somebody like him could stick, um, 
just because I think he does have that kind of, you know, personality that, um, you know, is fun for fans and Cameron. And I'm not sure who started it, you know, the, the chain, but he's been wearing it a lot. So I think I kind of associate the chain with him. But yeah, I mean, like, it's just kind of the personality of a team that um, seems like it could be poised to, you know, draw a significant amount of fans just based on their, you know, charisma and, um, you know, I guess how much they like each other, you know, the, the chemistry there. Uh, it does seem like a fun team. And, and then it's kind of like, I think my biggest gripe about the Paul Canerco era is that, you know, they always talk about grinding and, you know, just uh, hard work and, and toil and labor and just like, well, it's, you know, then it just makes it seem like, you know, um, baseball is a sacrifice rather than, you know, um, guys who are, um, you know, incredibly talented doing really cool things. And so I'm, I'm, tend to uh, root for teams or kind of uh, be side with teams that look like they're having fun and, you know, looks like they're enjoying playing the game. And these White Sox, you know, they're, they're not quite good yet, but they look like they enjoy it when good things happen. And this is something that fans can do, right? The fans can buy a similar chain and take it to games and they can say, I've got the home run chain. I mean, you can buy the U chain. You can buy the turnover chain online. It's $35. Uh, I found on mm. Google. <laughs> there you uh, go. There you go. So uh, I don't know. I haven't seen the White Sox home run chain, but uh, I find it to be a fun quirk in the dugout. And uh, I can't wait until Daniel Polka wears it because <laughs> I think it looked really good on him. Uh, transaction news for the White Sox. Luis Avalon, the White Sox acquired before the season began, along with Joaquin Soria from the Los Angeles Dodgers. And Rick Hahn has traded both of them. Luis Avalon, this morning was traded to the Philadelphia Phillies. So good for Luis Avalon. He pitched well for the White Sox, well enough to get himself traded in a to a contender in the mid, middle of a divisional race and hopefully make it to the postseason. Jose Abreu is on the 10-day DL for an unexpected surgery for his lower abdomen, close to the groin. I'm not exactly sure as far as why he needed that surgery, but he's going to be out for at least two weeks. Replacing Luis Avalon is Ryan Burr. Uh, who got the got the phone call at 2.30 in the morning and then had to hop on a flight from Charlotte to Chicago at 7 a.m. so he can get to the stadium in time for today's game. Good for Ryan Burr to, to catch that. I'm sure he was super pumped up, uh, so he didn't need much sleep. Uh, but Jim, with the injuries now, Lurie Garcia is out three to six weeks with his hamstring issue. Jose Abreu is out for the next two weeks. Rick Hahn is running out of players to call up before he will need to make the call for Eloy Jimenez. Yeah, and and I'm thinking slash hoping that, you know, they want the same kind of crowd that Kopech drew. Yeah, that same kind of excitement. Right. And especially, you know, they talk about the Red Sox and the Red Sox, you know, kind of drawing well anyway. But, you know, it is kind of disappointing when you go to a White Sox-Red Sox game and the Red Sox fans are louder. So I think it would be kind of fun to have, you know, that kind of... Yeah, especially if the Red Sox are drawing well and playing well, you know, I could see 30,000 fans there and more White Sox fans than Red Sox fans, or at least louder White Sox fans. Uh, and that'd be cool. So I'm hoping that's the case because, yeah, that is, you know, they did, I guess, you know, could justify replacing Leori, you know, and bringing up Jose Rondon and saying like, well, you know, with Lamar replacing Leori, we're short net infielder. And now with you know, um, you know, now with Abreu out and need a corner guy at first base, you know, have another third baseman. Yeah, they can kind of shape it as much as you want, but I think, yeah, they're kind of circling Eloy, and I'm hoping that it's just mainly because they want to have a good gate. And, you know, they're entitled to that. I think they're entitled to the idea of, you know, kind of 
making it as fun and uh, eventful as possible. I just think that when it comes to you know, the binary call them up, don't call them up, then I think there is definitely uh, a wrong choice. But I think when it's a matter of like a week versus a month, then you can take a week. Eloy Jimenez tonight was three for four with an RBI, by the way. So he's still hitting down in Charlotte. Our next segment, we're going to be previewing the Detroit Tigers series as the White Sox head to Motown for a four-game series. But before we do that, a quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. Football is back, and SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every game all season long. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning an with friends, or need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket-buying experience Easier than ever. By searching multiple ticket sites and grading every ticket based on value, SeatGeek helps you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. And I use SeatGeek for this Tuesday's game to see Michael Kopech in person. Was able to get two tickets in Section 106 for $31 because they beat the rush And if Michael Kopech makes his start on Sunday to Detroit, for those that have nothing going on this weekend, and if you want to drive up to Detroit to see Michael Kopech take on the Tigers, go use SeatGeek. Download their app or go to SeatGeek.com because our listeners get to save $20 off your first purchase. So if you've never used SeatGeek before, download the app onto your smartphone. Use promo code SOXMACHINE. That's promo code SOXMACHINE to save $20 off on your first purchase on SeatGeek. SeatGeek, life's an event, we have the tickets. And now for that series preview between the Chicago White Sox and the Detroit Tigers as the Tigers are fading. The Tigers are 52-74 and 74 on the season. They are 4-6 and six in their last 10 games. They are four games ahead of the Chicago White Sox. So if the White Sox sweep Detroit in Detroit, both teams will be tied in the standings, and the White Sox will be tied for third place in the American League Central. Your pitching probables for this series starting on Thursday, a unique starting time. This is at 12.10 p.m. Central time, so many of you will be in the office when this game starts. It'll be James Shields against Matthew Boyd. On Friday at 6.10 p.m. Central time, it is Ronaldo Lopez against Michael Fulmer, who is returning from the disabled list. On Saturday at 5.10 p.m. Central Time, it is Lucas Giolito against Ryan Carpenter. And on Sunday at 12.10 p.m. Central Time, making his second start of his young career, it is Michael Kopech against Jordan Zimmerman. All right, Jim, we usually ask you what you're looking forward to <laughs> in this series. I don't know about you, but I'm really looking forward to Sunday. I thought you were going to say Ronaldo Lopez. Well, but, yeah, I like watching yeah. Ronaldo Lopez. I, I'm hoping that he bounces back. Yeah, I mean, I think Kopech aside, Lopez, I think, is the guy I'm looking at just because we talked about him before in his struggles and trying to figure out why and trying to figure out exactly, you know, you know, the, the reason behind the whole focus thing. We talked about that before and just yeah, it's a mystery. And uh, so, um, you know, given the struggles and given still that he's pretty important and, you know, I think uh, Rodon developing, um, you know, this this new mode to where you can see him at the top of a rotation and seeing Kopech come up, seeing Giolito even out and being a six-inning guy, I think now it kind of takes the stress off Lopez and hopefully, you know, that kind of alleviates things for him and, you know, makes it 
less crucial that he turns into a number two starter and can be the number four starter, you know, that his numbers and even the scouting reports when the White Sox acquired him kind of signaled he would be. But yeah, just it's been rough for him and I'd like to see him bounce back. Yeah, me too, because let's say Lopez doesn't have a good start and he gets lit up. Does it bring the discussion of maybe Lopez gets a run in the bullpen and Dylan Covey replaces him for a start? Uh, maybe not. Um, I wouldn't say a permanent bullpen move or like say like even have him appear out of a relief. I'd say maybe, you know, skip a start. And, and I think you can do that easier in September than at the very end of August. But I think maybe a you know, rough start and then maybe one more turn the rotation. If that doesn't work, then maybe use expanded rosters to skip them. You know, maybe bring in Kovey, maybe bring in you know, Hector Santiago and or do like a kind of tandem thing um, just to break it up and then see if, you know, one missed turn allows him to get his stuff back. Yeah, with James Shields, I wonder if he will be traded. The deadline is coming up. It'll be next week that the if Rick Hahn is still looking to move James Shields or if a team needs a starting pitcher, uh, time is ticking. So maybe this is the last time we'll see James Shields in a White Sox uniform. Uh, if he were able to clear waivers or if he was claimed on waivers and a team needs an extra starter looking at you, Milwaukee, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. That's that's kind of one of the things that I'm wondering is that if he pitches really well Thursday afternoon, if that sparks conversations again, or if teams are going to wait because after this series, the White Sox head to the Bronx and Carlos Rodon is the, project, is the probable starter for that Monday game. Um, but the Tuesday night game will be James Shields. And I wonder if James Shields pitches really well in the Bronx, if that entices a contending team to make a move and acquire James Shields for the last month of the season to help them make the postseason. That's something yeah, I'm paying no, I, attention I could, to. I can see that, you know, being the, you know, if you're facing a you know, run of uh, weak offenses and you want to see what they looks like, especially in Yankee Stadium, which is, you know, the kind of, well, I don't know if he'll be, any team will acquire him with idea of having him start or appear in postseason games, but, you know, getting through, um, you know, a rotation turn in big stadiums when you're trying to win every game, you know, it's, it's possible. I could also see it being like, uh, you know, they, you know, given that he's not a lights out guy, he's not a postseason guy. Yeah. There just might not be that much urgency to, you know, get a deal done till the very end and make sure that he doesn't have any kind of weird, injury pop-up or, you know, because he, you know, he operates on such a thin margin with his stuff that, you know, any kind of drop in velocity and, and, and power behind his pitches might be untenable. So it might be at the very end, like with Miguel Gonzalez in his shoulder last year, just kind of going as long as he can, making sure he's healthy and then pulling the trigger at the last minute. Well, the A's keep winning the starts that Edwin Jackson makes. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, good I, for him. It's awesome. Yeah, it is good. Good for him. Good for Oakland. Good for that fan base. Gives me hope that maybe the White Sox can contend sooner than we think. Uh, especially if all things click for the White Sox, just like it has been clicking for Oakland. Uh, but yeah, that's my inspiration for James Shields because if Edwin Jackson is helping the Oakland A's right now, go toe-to-toe against the defending world champions, a much more talented team in Houston than Oakland. I know James Shields can help out a contending team, especially over in the National League, to be that fourth or fifth starter to carry, hopefully carry a team into the postseason. So that's kind of what's on my mind, and hopefully James Shields not only has a great start to help the White Sox continue their winning ways, uh, but see if that builds any trade momentum as he heads uh, into the Bronx to make his 
next start for the White Sox and hopefully his last start with the White Sox. So he gets traded to a contender and the White Sox can still focus on the rebuild and give another pitcher an opportunity to make some starts going into September. That will do it for this edition of Sox Machine Live. Thank you guys so much for listening to the live stream on Mixler.com slash Sox Machine. If you don't get a chance to listen to the live stream, no worries. We always upload the recordings into the podcast feed, which you can subscribe to the show via iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Audioboom.com slash Sox Machine. We'll be recapping the Detroit Tigers series on the next edition of the Sox Machine podcast on Monday. Sox Machine Live is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Hello, this is your apartment. I need some favors from you. Your cat keeps rubbing against the kitchen island and I can't return the favor. Can you give her extra pets for me? After that, could you bundle your renters and car insurance with Geico? We could save money, and it's easy to do online. And one last thing. Could you leave the TV on during the day? I need to catch up on my soaps. Geico. For bundling made easy, go to geico.com today. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.